Let's pretend that you are a follower of Jesus. I mean, for some of you, maybe we don't have to pretend. Some of you, I know you already are followers of Jesus, but let's pretend you're a follower of Jesus when he was on earth 2,000 years ago or so. We're about two years into Jesus' public ministry, and you've been following him for most of that time. The last few days have been incredible. Uh, You were amazed to be a part of a crowd of 15,000 fed by five loaves and two fish from a little boy. I mean, that was just such a faith builder. And then uh, the next day, uh, it was hard to believe, but the next day it seemed like Jesus must have walked on water because uh, he got to the other side of the lake and he wasn't in any boat, so there seems to be no other explanation. There is something unique and supernatural about Jesus. When you finally caught up with him on the other side of the lake, he claimed to be the bread of life and that whoever comes to him will never go hungry and whoever believes in him will never be thirsty. (laughs) That is what you've been searching for. It was so inspiring. It, It has been so exhilarating to be around Jesus, but today, Today, it all came crashing down. As it is recorded in John 6, verses 53 to 58, Jesus said to you and others in the crowd, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Many around you have have found this to be a very hard teaching. In fact, we know from scripture that after this talk, many people stopped following Jesus, they left the crowd and never came back. What about you? Are you still in? What does Jesus even mean by eating his flesh and drinking his blood? As the crowd started to grumble, Jesus doubled down with this response. Does this offend you? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and life. Yet, there are some of you who do not believe. Jesus was on such a roll, feeding the 5,000, walking on water, and so on. Why did he have to get into this? Let's make a couple of initial observations. I mean, I guess the most obvious one, Jesus is not trying to win a popularity contest. 
I mean, we, we know he was already not popular with the authorities, but these are his own followers. Second, Jesus is fully committed to the truth of who he really is and what it means to authentically follow him. Okay, so let's stop pretending. Let's come back to 2022. Let's come back to your real life. What, what do you make of Jesus' words today? It turns out that you have quite a few advantages over that first crowd 2,000 years ago. You have the New Testament. You have 2,000 years of history. Each of you is in a different place in your spiritual journey. For, for example, uh, some of you have not, maybe not read the Bible at all or not read it very much. Others of you have read the Bible through a number of times. If you've spent a little time reading the Bible, you know that Jesus used very similar imagery sometime later at the Last Supper that ultimately became our tradition of communion, where we remember through drinking wine and eating bread that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and for me. You also know that Jesus' ministry ultimately became even more profound than teaching and miracles. That Jesus rose from the dead and that he's in heaven today interceding for you. We know from history that notwithstanding persecution of Christians throughout the centuries, including in this century, that the power of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christianity has grown and flourished around the world, often in the most difficult circumstances. You have advantages over that first crowd. But still, what is your response to this teaching? Do you believe? Jesus is signaling his death of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Seeing his death as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But he is also issuing an invitation. He is inviting you to follow him in the way of the cross, to die to yourself, to literally give up your right to yourself and become his disciple. He closes the door on a faith that would like to pick and choose. I mean, there's, I could give you lots of examples of picking and choosing, but, but one way would be to say, you know, I, I like the parts about forgiveness and Jesus being my friend. I, I don't, I'm the part about surrender and obedience, I, I don't like that as much. You know, I, I'll take this part of his teaching, but I prefer not that part. He, he's closed that door. A follower of Jesus is on a journey, a lifelong journey of being all in. Being all in is going to look different to someone who is just exploring the Christian faith than it will to someone who has been a follower of Christ for a long time. It's a journey through your whole life and Jesus will meet you wherever you are at today. There is no right or wrong place to be. 
Jean Vanier describes the journey like this. Jesus is offering us a personal, intimate relationship with him that will lead us in the very life of God and nourish this life. It will bring us to dwell in Jesus and have Jesus dwell in us. Jesus is calling us to hunger and thirst for his presence of love, his real presence. What an amazing offer. An intimate relationship with Jesus that he himself nourishes. Now that would be a life of wild wonder. Where is your, first, where is your faith today? What, what do you believe? So it's a more complicated question than you might think. The, the process of spiritual formation must not only draw you closer to God, it must also be robust enough to inoculate you from powerful cultural narratives. At some level, you believe some of those narratives. So I could pick from many cultural narratives, but how about, how about the if-onlys? If only I was more interesting. If only I had a little more money, or, or maybe a lot more money. If only that person hadn't hurt me. And so on. The late author Henry Nouwen captures the result of cultural pressures as follows. While efficiency and control are the great aspirations of our society, loneliness, isolation, lack of friendship and intimacy, broken relationships, boredom, feelings of emptiness and depression, a deep sense of uselessness, fill millions of people in our success-oriented world. It's tough to hear, but, but true for so many people. You know the tape in your own head better than I do. I encourage you to build a faith that is stronger than any other tape in your head. That the promises of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit are more real to you than anything the culture is pushing at you. It's a fact of life that what you, what you consume forms who you become. If you mainly consume social media, YouTube, streaming services, that is what's forming you. Jesus is inviting you to immerse yourself in him, the bread of life. To believe is to commit, to commit yourself to Jesus Christ and to make a determination to be dominated by him alone. Oswald Chambers puts it like this. Faith is a tremendously active principle that always puts Jesus Christ first. The life of faith says, Lord, you have said it. It appears to be irrational, but I'm going to step up boldly, trusting in your word. 
Turning intellectual faith into a personal possession is always a fight, not just sometimes. Faith is the entire person in the right relationship with God through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Faith is a journey of wild wonder. It is being sure of what you hope for, even though you can't see it or prove it. What what do you hope for? For a number of years, uh, as John said, I worked for World Vision, a Christian humanitarian organization, and um, I, I spent, I spent uh, most of my time in those years in the poorest communities around the world, meeting with mothers and children and talking to community leaders. <clears throat> and early on in my time in World Vision, I was in India, I was in New Delhi, in a slum, and I met a, a 14-year-old girl named Sonam. Sonam was a beggar, a third-generation beggar. That means her mother was a beggar and her grandmother was a beggar. World Vision had been working in that community a couple of years, and uh, so I had a chance to talk to Sonam through a translator. And uh, the first question I asked her was, Sonam, what was your life like uh, before World Vision came here? And uh, she said to me, uh, every day I would wake up and I'd hope I'd get one meal that day and I hope that no man would hurt me that day. And I, know, I knew that World Vision had been working with Sonam and some of, her, uh, 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 some of her peer group over two years and one of the first things they did was try and uh, persuade her parents to let her go to school, to leave the street and let her go to school. It was hard to do, it's hard to, culturally, it's hard for us to imagine this, but when, you, when you've got this generational way of making a living by begging, education doesn't seem that valuable. But her father and mother were courageous, they let her leave the street, go to school, she'd been in school about a year and a half when I met her. And so I said to her, uh, Sonam, how would you characterize your life today? She said, well, I'm, I'm um, gonna finish school in about a year. I'm talking to my teachers about a vocation. I'd like to do something with my hands, something artistic. Uh, I like beadwork, I like dressmaking. Um, and so we're gonna talk about what kind of vocation I might do uh, after I finish school. And this was one of the big realizations for me that World Vision's work, a big part of our work, was extending the hope horizon of the world's poorest children. Sonam's hope horizon had gone from one day, I hope I get one meal today and no man hurts me today, to out a few years, finishing school, a vocation, a much longer time frame. I thought about Hope Horizon quite a lot. I, I was, I was uh, telling, t- telling a story recently to, about our daughter, John's uh, wife, Hannah, that she used to, when she was about eight years old, uh, she used to talk about her looking forward to it list. 
That's what got her through day to day. What's on my looking forward to it list? And uh, her eight-year-old self. And uh, so maybe that was her hope horizon, her looking forward to a list. Somehow it became my problem if that was getting short. Uh, and yours? What's yours? What's your hope horizon? To get through the week? Get through Christmas? To do whatever you're doing at school? Something related to your career? Something related to your children or maybe grandchildren? What's your hope horizon? All those things are good things to hope for. But a life of faith in Jesus requires us to expand our hope horizon beyond earthly hopes to an eternal perspective. What does that mean? What does it mean to have an eternal perspective? Well, it starts. It starts by how you define success for your life. There's a an old saying, not sure how many of you have heard this saying, it goes, um, the person who has the most money when they die wins. It's, you know, it's meant, it's meant to make fun of a cultural narrative. But, but some people live their lives like that's true. As if the main game is primarily to entertain yourself, to, to make yourself happy. Instead of this, Jesus calls us to an eternal perspective where your audience is not your many followers on Instagram. Your audience is the God of the universe. One, an audience of one who created you and who loves you. The one who calls you to be his beloved child and invites you into a life of surrender and love. Building a robust all-in faith that continuously feeds on Jesus is a lifelong journey. It involves being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. There are many ways to embark on this journey. Uh, When I'm assessing my own spiritual health, I like to use a a model put forward by Henry Nouwen. He, He uses a model of solitude, community, and ministry. The principle behind solitude is make a space every day for God. Make a space for God in your life every day. Community has two principles. The community principles are celebrate each other's lives and forgive one another for not being God. Forgive one another for not being perfect. And then ministry is motivated by compassion for others and gratitude for all that God has done for us. If I just talk about community for a second, um, because I want to make sure you've got kind of the right concept there. St. Mary's Church is a community. This is a community. I'm talking about a smaller community uh, where you can have more interaction. Uh, Helen and I are in a table, we were talking, Emily and John were talking about tables a minute ago. Uh, That's been a great community for us, sort of six or seven other couples. Um, Depending on what's going on in your life, you might need a smaller group than that. It needs to be a safe place. It needs to be a place where you, you can feel 
whatever you're sharing be held in confidence. It might just be, for some issues, it might just be one other person, one other follower of Christ. In Western culture, we tend to make a superficial investment in solitude and community. We want to move right into ministry. And we pour ourselves out in serving others without properly investing in the building blocks provided by solitude and community. As a result, it's it's no wonder that we often feel so exhausted and worn out. We skip over the elements that draw us closer to God and closer to others in the body of Christ and therefore skip over the nourishment, energy, and inspiration that comes from those things. Solitude, making a space for God every day. It's a relationship, speaking to him, making requests of him, but also listening to him. No healthy relationship is just about broadcasting. There has to be some receiving, some listening to God. There are many practices to help you listen more closely to God. Uh, Scripture reading, Sabbath, fasting, those are three. There are many. Those are just three. And I'm aware that there are some people who are hesitant to listen to the voice of God for fear of hearing judgment. If that's you, if you're, when you take a time of solitude and you're listening to God, if you're primarily hearing judgment, I I really doubt that's the voice of God. I'm guessing that's another voice. Some other tape, some other cultural narrative. In chapter three of the book of John, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God loves you, he forgives you, he has grace. When you listen to him, it's a safe place to be. He loves you, he loves you more than the person, more than the person who loves you most on this earth loves you. That's how much he loves you. I've had a time of uh, solitude with God every day for almost 30 years been one of the greatest gifts of my life. It might surprise you to learn that one of the most meaningful aspects of that time of solitude have been my times of confession. Confessing my sins to God, receiving his forgiveness. I'm thankful that God is patient with me. Sometimes I'm a slow learner. And that his mercies are new every morning. I know that sin is not a word that gets used much these days, so it can be confusing, but it's basically an old archery term. So, you know, we have a field and there'd be an archer at one end and there'd be targets on the other end, bullseyes, and the, the, you know, the archer pulls back his arrow and it goes, goes toward the target. There's people down there watching, seeing where the arrow goes, and if it misses, the person at the other end of the field cries out, sin! You missed the mark. You missed the mark. And so that's, that's what I feel like I'm doing. I can, I'm confessing that I, I miss, when I miss the mark that God has for my life, which is quite often. 
A healthy relationship with Jesus through solitude is the gateway to intimate community with others. It's a progression. We long to truly know others and to be known. And Christian community is a unique opportunity for this to happen because you know that everyone in the group is a forgiven sinner just like you. Everyone in the group misses the mark. And everyone in the group is forgiven for missing the mark. So you don't need to prove anything in that group. You don't need to wear a mask. You don't need to pretend. It's an opportunity to ask for prayer and have the privilege of praying for others. The movement is from solitude to community and then to ministry. Ministry includes generosity and hospitality and an endless way to serve, an endless ways to serve others, especially the voiceless and the most vulnerable. <clears throat> I know that St. Mary's Church is committed to helping you on your faith journey through many different ways, including sharing practices that will draw you closer to Jesus, offering supportive community, and providing ministry opportunities as an expression of Jesus' love to others. This is our, our last talk on our short series on uh, the chapter six of John. And if you didn't hear the other three talks, I would encourage you uh, to go listen to them. There's a theme, a consistent theme in all four talks of being all in for Jesus. As we bring the series to a close, I want to remind you of something Jesus said in the middle of chapter six. He said, this is the work of God to believe in the one he has sent. He didn't say the work of God is to serve the poor. He didn't say the work of God is to tell other people about Jesus. Those are both very powerful, important things. But what he says is the work of God is to believe in the one he has sent. It's going to take a, a continuous commitment, like every other relationship in your life takes a continuous commitment to believe in Jesus, the one who invites you to feed on him and offers you an abundant life. I love an encounter recorded in the Gospel of Mark where a father is, asking, uh, father is asking Jesus to help his son. Jesus says to him, everything is possible for one who believes. The father exclaims, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Like that father, I encourage you to ask God to help you grow your faith, to help you overcome any areas of unbelief that you have, to enter into the wild wonder of a relationship with Jesus. Faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. <clears throat>